go through the session, feel what happens to you, use that, what you go through in therapy and try and work out (laughs) what's wrong with you, basically. What's up, everyone? It's your boy, Danny Lopriori, and welcome to Off the Cuff. You might know me as the guy from the basement yard, Vine, the Low Priori podcast. And while I love to make people laugh, just know that I've struggled with my mental health for most of my life, just like many of you. Here on Off the Cuff, I will be talking with some of the most impactful influencers, athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and mental health experts to have real, unapologetic conversations about mental health and breaking the stigma that surrounds it. This show is for you, and I'm so happy to have you here. Now, let's talk Off the Cuff. Welcome back to Off the Cuff. I'm your host, Daniel Priori, and today I am joined by food content creator and the man behind Brunch Boys. Jeremy Jacobowitz. Jeremy, how are you doing today, sir? Good, good. It's a beautiful day here in New York City, so I'll take it. That it is. I thought it was supposed to rain today, but it actually ended up not it rained, raining. It rained for like five minutes. It's a very weird rain, but otherwise, it's like a, a perfect spring day. We don't have too many of those, so you know, I'll enjoy, enjoy this one. Give me both. I'll take it. I'll take it. So I have to say, I was watching your Instagram earlier. Have you always like kind of been obsessed with food? Yeah, kind of. I mean, like, I never put it together that it was like anything different than anybody else, but I certainly like grew up with food. Like, the first solid food I ate was like Chinese food. And growing up, I always say, like, my mom's a great cook. Like, I, all my food passion, I guess, comes from her. And we always had a rule. It was basically like, I had to try everything. She'd always be like, well, you, you could spit it out if you don't like it, but you have to eat everything. So, from a very young age, I would just expose everything and there's nothing I ever spit out. So, I loved it eating. I remember watching all the old Iron Chef and Food Network stuff and whatever it was from when I was a kid and then just learning to cook just because I was hungry. (laughs) I never thought about doing it as a career or anything just because I didn't back, this is, you know, the 90s, 2000s, whatever, like certainly there are no influencers or content creators or anything like that. But even looking at like the landscape of like what job you could have with food, it was kind of like chef and I didn't really want to be a chef. So I never thought about it until I kind of fell into it. Are you born and raised in New York? Yeah, so I was born in Brooklyn, and then I grew up in Westchester, then came back for NYU. I've I've never lived anywhere else. So I have to ask, you used to be 100 pounds heavier than you are now. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, basically. What was your highest weight? I don't know, because I didn't weigh myself, but I certainly just always had like a number in my head that it was like around 290 or so, just from going to a doctor or something. Yeah. But yeah, so that was always sort of like the highest point that I remember sort of took it from there of when like I went through my weight loss. I'm like, okay, that sort of makes sense. Were you big in high school? Yeah, yeah, I was big like throughout my entire life. And then I lost the weight when I was 24, maybe. Yeah, yeah. See, like I'm 220 now. I was I was 270. I was up there. I was happy. Mm. How tall are you though? I'm five nine. So I was packing it at I was six four. <laughs> so, so you had a, a little more space to to air it out, but two the two nineties heavy, two nineties heavy. Yeah. So you lost the weight like around like 10 years ago? Yeah, a little over 10 years ago now. Yeah. So you were heavy, you basically lose a hundred pounds. When you're doing any of your food content, is like your weight at all like in your mind? I'm always like worried. I'm just saying, like from my experience, I'm always worried about my weight. So I'm always thinking like, I want to enjoy these amazing foods, but like, I'm always worried about my weight. Does any of that like go through your mind at all when you're doing these amazing food videos? It goes through my mind every second of every day. I mean, I'm just like, I always say like my approach to food, it's not the worst. I think like one of the happiest things I was able to do after I lost weight, basically I lost weight very quickly. I lost 80 pounds in like less than six months. 
and then took another year That's to lose crazy. 20. And then that 20 has sort of fluctuated up and down a little bit, but it basically stayed there. It's not anything like, wasn't like a secret. It, it sounds like a secret because I don't remember the exact thing, but basically it was like I went to a nutritionist and I went on an insanely strict diet of just like bars and shakes and chopped salads. And then I went to the gym every day. And I didn't break it for six months. It's certainly not easy. And like, whatever, everyone's body is different too, but that worked for me. But then coming out of that, like you generally see two things when you lose that much weight, especially on something that's so strict like that. You see people that either can never have a healthy relationship with food again, which I obviously get because you see what happens to your body when you essentially don't enjoy food for six months, or you see people just bounce right back to the weight, they're not able to find that happy medium. And I was able to luckily find a happy medium where like I went, this is so silly. I started working in food the second I basically lost 80 pounds. I was kind of thrown into the fire of like, well, yeah. you kind of have to do this. So then day to day, it's yeah, it's a lot. Like I always say, like there's this difference between my content of like when I'm actually eating at a restaurant and like filming at a restaurant. And obviously it's all right. video, but I approach it very much like I do when I used to work in food TV, which is like, if I'm in the kitchen, this is like a shoot. So I don't use it as my meal. Like, okay, cool. I'm there filming a cheeseburger. But like, this isn't lunch. I already ate lunch. This is just a prop in a video that I'm tasting. And I love food and right. I want to taste it. And I want to enjoy it. I don't need to finish an entire burger to tell the story and to enjoy the burger. So there's that. And then I basically make sure I work out every single day. And even the shoots I do, I probably film three videos a week. So it's really not that much. I'm just really good at stretching content and making new videos out of everything. And the fact that I post every day, people just assume that, that. but I also, I tell everyone, right. like, watch my stories. Like I literally eat the same things every single day and they're generally pretty healthy. So like, I just push like balance. Like, yeah, I love all this, whatever you want to call that food, but I don't need to eat it every single meal, you know, and right, right. Like, like everything, like anything you do over and over again is be terrible for you. So like, yeah, for eat sure. that fucking cheeseburger. But like, I don't know, don't eat one every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's going to be a rough go if you eat a cheeseburger every day, for sure. <laughs> but you touched a little bit on it, too. So you used to work in TV and TV production, right? Yeah. So I worked in sports TV first and then food TV, like reality, but 99% food. Did you like that gig at all or was you just found it too stressful? No, I loved it. I loved working in TV. I liked that schedule. Like, yeah, it kills you mentally and physically, which it essentially did. But I, I loved it. I loved being in TV. I loved producing. I loved traveling. I loved being on set. I loved creating. Like any jobs, there's hardships to it, especially like it's not really a lucrative position, especially where I was at as a you know, low-level producer. But I I loved it. You know, the landscape just changed you know tv barely exists anymore so in my mind i'm basically still doing the same thing i'm producing yeah. these shows they just live on tiktok instead of food network no for sure yeah it's a great way to look at it too because realistically it's like i don't think i've had a cable box for like five years <laughs> i still love it i watch news and sports all day too so i pay for youtube for tv sure. so basically i have cable i pay for every streaming app i'm a lunatic but you know i still i'm yeah. like well it's part of my job i gotta stay on top of everything that's what it is. It's part of your job. And we could turn it into a tax write-off at some point. That's just, It's we'll all business related. I agree. When you were young, I was an anxious kid like in high school, but I never really addressed it much as anxiety or depression because we were kind of in that era where the stigma of mental health, it was like every, if you had a problem, you were crazy right. and they would send you to like the resource room. Like that's like what they did with us. 
you know, they just be like, oh, like he has like depression. We'll put him in special ed or something. You know, mm-hmm. that's like kind of how they did it. So I always kind of kept my stuff inside. When you were in high school, middle school, were you like a super anxious kid? Yeah, I mean, all that stuff started when I was a toddler, basically. What changed was like in middle. I also have ADD, and like before it was cool. I I had ADD, but so in I middle say school. That too. In middle school, they put me on like ADD medicine and like basically my grades went from like D's to A's. So like I just generally don't like taking medicine. I just like, I don't know, even to this day, like if I have a headache, I'm like, I don't need to take Advil. Like I'll get over it. Who cares? Whatever. Unless I absolutely yeah. need it, I'll, I'll take it. Like you said, nothing was like truly defined back then. And I don't necessarily mm-hmm. know if I exactly knew what I had, but then it was like approaching me like, well, what if you try this other medicine for your other issues, whatever you want to call it. And I was basically mind, I'm like, well, as much as I don't like taking medicine, this other medicine has seemed to help everything. Maybe I'll try this medicine. So I don't remember what the medicine was. It's too long ago. But some sort of antidepressant, whatever, I probably started taking in um, like sophomore year of high school. And then I took that to the end of college. Oh, wow. 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 Yeah. No, that's um, that's pretty wild. Yeah. I couldn't even think about taking like an antidepressant medication in 10th grade. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. <laughs> barely put my contacts in. Like uh, uh-huh. you know what I mean? Like couldn't even imagine. It's a responsibility to kind of deal with that stuff at a young age. I always feel like even too with like content creators, we have to kind of have this personality that's like going all the time and people really only see like a certain aspect of our lives. Like even with you, it's they see the food you're trying, but like they watch your story, they see that you're pretty conscious about like what you're putting in your body and stuff like that. When it comes to content, do you ever get burnt out? Not really. I know it's like trendy for people to say. And I honestly, this is sort of my retort to that is like, I think that the original people that popped up, I've been doing this full time for like eight years and it was not on purpose. I've always posted things on the internet. I had my YouTube channel for years and years and years. You wouldn't know that by the amount of followers I have on there, but whatever. This is my job. I like doing it. And it was always just like a place I could be more creative than I was in TV just because it was all my ideas. And that was the whole point when I started posting stuff on Instagram. It was basically an extension of just other things I was making online. And then the Instagram took off like eight and a half years ago. And pretty much immediately people were like, wanted to pay me. And I didn't even know you could get paid by doing internet things. It just happens around Mm -hmm. me. So it wasn't like I was out there trying to be an influencer, out there trying to quit my job in TV or out there, any of those things. It was literally the approach then is still essentially the same approach now, which is like, I just wanted, I like creating videos. Like I was just in Asia for two weeks and everyone's like, and I shot 50 videos and people are like, well, yeah, it's your job, but you don't have to do that. And I was like, yeah, but like, I'd be doing that anyway. Like, that's what I like doing. So I think Mm. it's a difference you see the split of like, again, going back to my approaches, this is exactly what I've always been doing. I've always been creating content, no matter what the platform is. So I don't feel creative burnout because I truly believe this is what I'm trying to do. I think you saw something else that happened the past couple of years from TikTok of like, you know, some kid was fucking 17 years old and he just like made one video on TikTok and it blew up and all of a sudden he has to be this person. And like, I feel bad yes. for that person. I feel bad for them. They didn't really want to do that. They didn't want to be a content creator. They just wanted to make a fun little video. And now they're forced to shoot and edit and produce and be on camera and have some niche that maybe they're not even super interested in, but this is what they're known for and they have to do it every single day. So like, I totally get why those people are creatively burnt out and they, they loathe it at some point. I don't feel that way at all. Like certainly there's good days and bad days and 
maybe one day I don't feel like working. I take the day off. It's fine. But generally, I'm excited to get back to it the next day. You were on an antidepressant in 10th grade, right? So obviously, Mm. there was probably some therapy there, too. So you went to therapy early. And what was kind of your experience when you were young with therapy? I was basically always forced to go to therapy, but I don't I don't remember a lot of it. I believe by the time I was like actually on medicine, I was literally just had to go to get the prescriptions, but like it was definitely not a weekly thing or even monthly thing. It was like once every three months I had to show up just so someone could write a prescription for me to take this because I was certainly diagnosed that, but I had no interest in going there. So it was different therapists throughout from being a child until the end of high school, sure. I guess college too. Some, someone was still writing the prescriptions. I cannot tell you who. <laughs> I remember those days too. And it was harder back then. Nowadays, I think you can get prescriptions to anything. The internet didn't exist like that back then. So you literally have to go to a, do- a legit doctor yeah, <laughs> or therapist so or whatever. I've said it many times on this show too, like how you said you had ADD before it was cool. I was like, guys, I was depressed before it was cool. <laughs> right. <laughs> We're gatekeeping our depression in, uh, in ADD. I always look at the food space as I associate food with happiness. I just am one of those people. Sadly, it's just something I've tried to work on, but I used to stress eat. Food used to be the only thing like I would look forward to in a day. So it's like, I have a love-hate with with food. But what you do is one of the best things that I think that happen on the internet or when people are actually passionate about food, especially coming from New York City, there's endless things that you can enjoy here in New York City. For you right now, where's your go-to place to eat in New York? The place that I've been loving the most is uh, Edith's Sandwich Counter. It's very much like her approach is sort of like modern take on Jewish food and like not Israeli food, which I also love. But like I always tell people like I'm not Israeli. I didn't grow up with that food. And even saying I grew up in Jewish food is like I grew up in New York City food. But obviously like Jewish food is folded into that so much. And just everything is so unbelievably good. They're in Williamsburg. They just opened up a pop-up in Friday also. So they're spreading a little bit, but just great. And that's like my like, yeah, like on the weekends, like I don't want to get off the couch. This is what I'm ordering in. I'm getting like the slushy. They make latka tots, which are great sandwiches and bagels. And yeah, it's fantastic. How do you maintain your weight, man? How do you do? Are you still in the gym like crazy? Yeah, I work out probably six days a week. Good for you. And I don't recommend this for everybody, but I do weigh myself every single day and I take a photo of it every single day. And that's that like, only a certain type of person can do that. So please don't drive yourself crazy. And But what I like looking at is trends. And I think trends help me. And I'm like, okay, like, what did I do this week? And what did it do to my body? Or what did I do day to day? And well, some days are good and some days are bad. And that's okay. But what's the median line on that? And sort of just keeping a track of that. I think that certainly helps me. I'm, and yeah, of course, like, if I don't get off the couch one day and order in three meals, like, yeah, the next day, like my weight can fluctuate very easily. Just I'm a six, four dude. Right. But okay. From one day to next is five pounds. Well, okay. You're going to have to work a little harder this week, but like just work a little harder and you'll get it right off. It's, it's fine. And I was able to have that day of indulgence and enjoy all that food and whatever, not stress over it. Cause I remember to have that balance. Don't let it become every single day. You don't get off the couch and order three meals in, but like enjoy yeah. those days <laughs> where you want to have it. It's just so easy to get food here. That's horrible. <laughs> I can have, <laughs> have anything at my door. <laughs> I've always said like, you could get a newborn baby delivered like on DoorDash. 
and it wouldn't be like outrageous in, in mm-hmm. New York. <laughs> the biggest thing I always love to see about like content creators and stuff like that is something that you touched on before is that you're actually truly passionate about what you do. A lot of people, like you said, they get pigeonholed and they're not actually really passionate about what they do. Even with Brunch Boys, what's kind of your your mission and kind of your goal with Brunch Boys as a brand, you know, you as a founder and creator of it? Where do you see yourself going with this? Uh, do this as long as possible before I have to go work for somebody else. I like making videos. I love that answer so much. <laughs> I like making videos and I have fun with it. And I love this way of creating content. Like I always say, the difference of like in TV, which obviously is my background. If you have an idea for something, one, it'll never get made. So don't worry about it. But let's say it's an idea that could actually get made. <laughs> yeah. You think of this idea and then you spend months on a pitch and you spend months pitching and then you spend months, whatever, whatever. Like you're years out from idea to making it to air. In one day, I can have an idea and tomorrow I could put it on the internet and it'll probably be seen by more people than whoever would have seen it on that third rate cable network that that show would have ended up on. Mm-hmm. And I really like that. So it really like lets you be creative and lets you take chances because like, whatever, who cares? Nobody watches it and everyone thinks that idea sucks. Okay, on to the next video. There's always a video the next day. So that I've been starting to take on outside saying I don't want to work for anybody else. I have been starting to take on outside projects just because I've been lucky enough to be approached by projects that are really exciting for me to direct and, sure. and be a part of. So I've been doing that and I get to be very picky about it just because I am pretty busy with my own content that I can kind of wait around and be like, oh, cool, that project is awesome. Yeah, let's take a week and let's let's do that. So that's really it. I think like being flexible with your content too, I think that's one of the reasons why like I've been able to do this full-time for eight and a half years. Like I certainly know so many people that started with me that had the same opportunity to kind of stick with this and they just were too rigid in their content and too rigid whatever. And I get it. Like you do get stuck in your own ways, but that's cool. If you want to just like be super creative and make content, you're always free to do that. But if it is going to be your profession, you have to give in a little bit and you have to see what else is out there and you have to see what else is working sure. because things change every single day on the internet. On TikTok, there's another trend the next day. And it's like, I'm not saying you have to do trends because I generally hate trends, but I think that you can look to see why those trends work and try and bring that into your own content and just keep going. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like I'm 36 years old and I have 250,000 followers on TikTok. I think like the curve that really means is like 10 million if I was 20. So I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, that's what it is. It's like, like I have 111 K on there on TikTok. And I was like, listen, right. like, kind of lucky to have this at my age. Yeah, exactly. I'm not a 14 year old boy. Like dancing exactly. around. Like, I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> It's harder the older we get to get these kids to like us, man. It's tough. There's a big disconnect, but I try really hard. (laughs) A great meeting ground is food for sure. Yeah, exactly. Everybody loves food for the most part. Just a little bit, just like about growing up for you though. You know, we have grew up similar places. Was mental health like talked about in your house at all? It wasn't in mine. Yeah. Every second of every day because I have an overbearing Jewish mother. So that's all we talked about. I didn't want to talk about it. So it was never a discussion, but it was certainly brought up enough. <laughs> Absolutely. All my best friends are Jewish. I got to live vicariously through them and some of their moms. So I definitely. I mean, I think it's certainly a different conversation than it is today and thought of very differently than it was today, but it certainly was. Like I said, from the time that I was very, very, very young, I forced to go to different therapists or whatever. So it was certainly a topic of discussion. Jews were kind of ahead of the curve on that. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think you know there's just I mean? generally more anxiety within the Jewish community, so maybe they thought about it sooner than other Yeah, places. yeah. I was like, <laughs> you, my friend Ben Gold has been in therapy since he was eight, so like all this is a new day. He's been there. Uh, it's so funny, man. So you had ketamine treatment. Yes. <laughs> I got to know what ketamine treatment's like, because the only treatment that I knew of ketamine was doing it on a Sunday night because we couldn't <laughs> find cocaine. What is ketamine treatment like, and how do you actually get into ketamine treatment? Sure. So, like I said, as much as I was sort of forced to go through therapy when I was younger, I hated it and never got anything out of it because I would go there and basically refuse to talk. But so in the fall, I decided to go to therapy as an adult, which is a very different decision because you were making an adult decision, not being forced to do anything. Mm-hmm. So very quickly, the conversation came up of like, well, do you want to go on antidepressants? Because <laughs> clearly you're depressed and you have a lot of issues. <laughs> and I was just against it. Again, going back to the conversation of I don't generally like taking medicine. I also, you know, I don't want to say the medicine wasn't helpful. I think it certainly was in some circumstances, but certainly whatever I was on, I also hated. I think the reason why I stopped is I just thought it made me too weird. I, I, like, it's just the best way to yeah. put it. I don't know how else to put it. It just did. Listen, it's different strokes for different folks. I take medication, but I understand why people don't take medication. I couldn't be someone that's going to completely write someone off because they don't want to take medication. Right. Of course. Ever do, do your own thing. That's outlandish. But so my therapist was luckily, she's very into like, okay, what else can we look into? And she was the one to suggest, well, maybe ketamine is a treatment. I looked into it and there are a couple of reasons why I liked it. One, it wasn't something that you were dependent on. Like, as you know, once mm. you go on antidepressants, you're literally dependent on them. You just you can't just stop and you can't test it out. You can't just take it for a week and see how you feel. It really takes months to build up in your system. So it's kind of like, okay, I don't love that. Where ketamine, obviously I'm no expert, but at least I've gone through it. It's well, I do know it's literally just in your system while you're doing it. And then it's out of your system oh, yeah. in 15 minutes. So I had never done it before. I don't really like drugs. They don't make me feel good. So I just don't really do them. I've never had a positive experience. But so I looked into it a little bit and like, you know, it's not just like a warehouse in Bushwick, like there are professional medical facilities that administer to you, which also made me feel better. I found this company and you can't just get it. I don't know exactly what all the rules are, but you can't just roll in and be like, hey, here's my credit card. Give me ketamine. One, you have to have someone that like basically, not that I had a prescription for my therapist, they can't do that, but my therapist had to recommend that this was for me. You have to be able to prove that you've tried antidepressants and they don't work. So if you've never gone antidepressants, they will not, at least the place that I went to, will not just administer ketamine. It's going to be the second option for you. They're basically like, hey, for first time people, like we have this package of five sessions. You do them all within basically two and a half weeks of each other. You know, the idea is like go through the session, feel what happens to you, use that what you go through in therapy and try and work out what's wrong with you, basically. And my basic thing was like, well, what's the worst that could happen? That's what I want to know. And they're basically like yeah. the, the only what they said and everything I read and everything I saw is basically the worst thing that could happen is that you just doesn't do anything. And I was like, okay, well, if that's the only negative, then I'm totally okay to try this. And that's basically what it was. Like I went through the five sessions. I used it was a therapy. You know, they send me all these mood surveys every week of like these weird questions to, for them to determine their own math. So on their own math, it was a raging success because they went from some random score to some other random score. I've been telling people like, I, I think it was a positive experience. What I learned about it from going through it and speaking to other people, they really recommend this kind of treatment for people with like PTSD. And having gone through it, I understand why 
because it's funny when you you said like oh do ketamine recreationally because like the thing that i went through i would never fucking want to just recreationally i mean they hook you up with an iv to a giant bag of it so the dosage is obviously very different but every time i went under you're conscious you're not asleep but you are just high as shit and someone's with you it's all administered they're right. checking you whatever and you could always they also cover your eyes and your ears so it's really fucks with you but i also was able to stay conscious enough to be like if i feel like i'm going too deep which i certainly felt like it i could always just peek out and i i know i'm back in the office but what's interesting is i thought that for every session i did constantly brought me to things that were like my biggest fears in life always without me trying and these are all things that i knew so it wasn't like i had some breakthrough of like oh that's what it is i was like oh i knew this this is really fascinating this is where it took me where if you're someone of ptsd generally you're facing things that you do not want to face your brain might have erased it from your memory and now you're going through ketamine and now it's brought you to that thing that you tried to get rid of and because of that, you're facing it. You walk out of there with like tremendous success from it because the brain finally went to the place it needed to go. I don't have PTSD, thankfully. So it wasn't just like eye-opening thing. It was just like really fascinating. You know, like, oh, wow, it brought me there. That's interesting. And brought those things to therapy. What, what about that can we work through? So I thought it was successful. And like, yeah, did it cost me a few thousand dollars? Sure. I have terrible insurance. Anything I would have done would have cost a couple thousand dollars. Any t- I go to anytime you go to doctor for anything. So like, yeah, it sounds expensive, but really when you put it up against normal cost of any sort of treatments, it, it really didn't seem that expensive. Yeah, for sure. Deductibles in the healthcare system are laughable at this point. Yeah. <laughs> You're spending a ton of money just to go, like, just to say hello to your doctor at this point. Right. But that's no, that's incredibly interesting. Cause that's what funny, like you said, like antidepressants takes a long time to build up. And I remember when they were like writing me a prescription for it, they were like, Hey, like this might make you want to kill yourself. Like we kind of have to tell you that. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that makes no fucking sense. And mm-hmm. then they were like, yeah, but we got a couple more. And they were like, yo, your dick might not work for a little bit. Uh-huh. And then I was like, yep. okay. Uh-huh. I was like, this is supposed to make me less depressed. I'm going to have no <laughs> dick and I'm going to want to kill myself. <laughs> this sounds terrible. And even stopping, like you can't just stop. Like that's a lot of it. Again, like if that, if it works for you, I'm not saying, please don't sit, don't take it as like, I'm saying, don't do it. If you, if you need it, I'm saying for me for personally, sure. I wanted to try and seek other options. And they basically said that like what they see generally is like the positive effects from it you see for like six months and then you sort of come back and maybe you want to do a whole other five session round. Maybe you want to pop in whenever just to get one session. So I haven't gone back, but I'm not against it. I do keep thinking of like, maybe it makes sense to do one session here or there, kind of see what, where my brain takes me this time. I was on a benzo for my panic disorder and getting off of that shit's a fucking nightmare. Mm-hmm. a nightmare you feel like you're dying so i'm back on a benzo now i said if i ever get off of this thing i'm going inpatient i said i'm not doing that shit again wow. i'm telling you it's fucking brutal i was on three milligrams of klonopin for about a year and they were like this is too high of a dose like you got to like try and cut it back so i got it down to 0.25 klonopin mm-hmm. and then they were like all right so now we're going to try and like wean you off of the 0.25 like my body was like shutting down. I was so tired. I got sick. I felt like I was going to lose consciousness. You can have seizures going cold. I used to have a friend that was prescribed Xanax and he tried to quit it cold turkey. He ended up like having a seizure and was in the hospital for like three weeks. It's scary. 
no idea about any of this because so I just stopped taking my medicine one day and didn't tell anyone, (laughs) which is definitely not the way to do it. Thankfully, I think I honestly think what happened was that because I really wasn't, I was just having people like someone write a prescription without really like diving into any of it was happening. My guess is because I was on the same dosage from when I was 12, by the time I was 24, I was probably so underdosed that like just getting off of that thankfully didn't have any of the repercussions that you could easily see from doing that. Yeah. I got to look more into this ketamine treatment. It sounds extremely interesting. See, we never did uh, the liquid. We, you know, we did it Hampton style where you put it in a microwave. Well, that's, what's funny is like, it's one of those things when you start thinking about it, all of a sudden you see it it come up every single day, like in conversation. So yeah. And then all of a sudden everyone I knew was fucking doing ketamine. And I was like, you guys do what? And then I was fascinated by it because I was like, wait, how, how, I know what I've been doing it. How do you do it? I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, one spray of this, one thing of that. No wonder like you just like feel whatever. Like I'm like 45 minutes of that thing in my arm. I can't <laughs> even imagine. Totally I different. can't even imagine that. Did you ever like disassociate when you were in there? In terms of? Like, could you like feel yourself like above your body? I mean, basically like not necessarily exactly like that, but like every time I went under, I felt like I was on a different planet. Like literally thought I was on another planet. I thought I was going back in time. Again, like the deeper you went, it was it gets scary, especially what it was making me confront was scary and being lost can be scary. Yeah. I also didn't want to forget anything. It's basically like dreaming. But you know, when you wake up, you remember that dream for half a second, then it's gone. That's wow. a lot of what happens when you come out of it is you're more conscious, so you generally remember more, but it's very easy to forget. So they actually recommend like have a journal, write down everything as soon as you get out of there. But what I started doing was trying, because I felt it going in and out of my system. Like I would felt going really, really, really deep. And I come out conscious a little bit and go really, really deep. So what I tried to do was map it out. Of my, I must have looked like a fucking lunatic to like the person sitting with me. Because <laughs> so what I tried to do was build a map in my head and repeat the stories over and over again so I could come out and remember. So I'd be sitting there like, okay, remember this happened? And then this happened? <laughs> Yeah. And I would repeat it over and over and over and over again. So it could come out of it, be like, okay, yeah. I digitally can see it. I remember it. And do I remember every last detail? No, that's impossible. But I've mapped out enough of where this journey was where I could write it in the journal. And I have this lunatic journal of me being high, my crazy high notes. <laughs> like, because it's out of your system really quickly, which is all sort of like, like you basically end the session, they cut it off. And within 15 minutes, it's totally out of you. And like, you could still feel kind of weird and like they're like, yeah. no, don't drive, but like, a little loopy. I just went about my day, would go to the gym, I would do whatever. Like, you're totally fine. So it was funny to like look back at my notes the next day of like, you know, the notes of a fucking madman. <laughs> do you still read them from time to time? Just like, I have to go and just no, see what I mean, the fuck I was you know what? It's that thing too of like, once you write them, it's ingrained in your brain a little bit more. So, like, I kind of right. I remember what it was. It would be funny one day or, or, you know, to go back and look. But for now, I basically remember. Yeah, you're just gonna have to like publish like ketamine memoirs. <laughs> that'd be that'd be fucking hilarious. They're not gonna make sense to anybody unless you're under ketamines. So yeah. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Diet fads, I want to ask you about diet fads. In your terms of diet fads, I'm gonna ask you a couple of diet fads mm-hmm. who, that you would be willing to try. Okay. Keto. Would you ever go keto? It's basically like no carbs at all. Basically, it's like I could have the same answer for all these. It's like, how long do I have to do this for? Like, yeah, like generally, like I think one thing that helps me is reducing carbs. So out of all of them, yeah, it doesn't sound so, you know, like that sounds right, like keep, something that keto. would work at least, you know. All right. Keto sounds like it would work. 
Yeah. Uh, vegetarian. No, I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever tried to go vegetarian ever? I tried to do it once. I did Whole30 once, uh, which is basically cutting out everything. I didn't cut out all yeah. alcohol. I cut out beer and wine, but I kept tequila. Because I'm like, tequila is a plant and it's fine. And the only reason you can't drink under Whole30 is because it's started by people who are alcoholics. It was really hard. I mean, it's like everything. It's like you just have to make every single meal for yourself. Like you can't eat at a restaurant if you're on Whole30 because every single thing is going to have sugar and butter in it. It's like that's what makes every single thing taste good. So it was hard. So I, I wouldn't recommend it. Well, I liked it as a reset. I, I like all these things. Again, we used to like time. I think like if you're like, I need a little bit of a reset. If you want to do one week being keto, it's like just put yourself back in the right mindset. I think it's really helpful. I also think everyone's body is totally different. What works for me is it going to work for you. So I always say like, try them out. Do a week keto and see how you feel. Do a week vegetarian. Maybe you had other underlying issues where like meat was killing you and like veggies great yeah. for you. You know, like you really <laughs> never know what's going to help. Cake or pie? Hmm. I guess pie. You can okay. go savory with pie. So I'm going to cheat and say that. That is true. That is true. You can't go savory with pie. I didn't think about that. Chinese or sushi? Oh. So I'll say sushi only because I always say sushi is the one food that I can eat every single day and never get tired of it. Where as much as I Same. love Chinese and it's probably more my comfort food, if you have to eat Chinese more than one day in a row, like New York Chinese food is what I'm thinking of. You're going to hate yeah. it. You're going to hate it after, after let's say, a week. You know, <laughs> okay. yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I agree. Pizza or pasta? Oh, pizza. Easy. Pizza. What's your go-to pizza in New York? I always say Joe's is the best. I think like if you want a real New York City slice experience, Joe's is going to be the best, even if it's not technically the best pizza. I think like it, it's everywhere. It is New York, defines New York. More recently, I've been eating Feeney a lot there in Williamsburg. Mm. It's more like Jersey style. It's pretty thin. Their best pies, just like the tomato pie, like there's not even any cheese on it. It's just like fantastic. I love that. I love that. TikTok or Instagram? Instagram. You know, what's funny is I'm as much as I'm like in the social media world, I really don't like scrolling on people I don't follow. <laughs> like I watch YouTube all day it's and true. I'm happy to like find people on YouTube that I don't know. Everyone else like Instagram, I still use it because I want to see like what my friends are up to and what like people I want to support are up to. Like if I scroll on TikTok, it's like I literally scroll for maybe two minutes and I'm like, I'm out. Your algorithm is admittedly fucking great, but I just like, I don't want to sit here all day scrolling random things. Like I want to be a little bit more like, you know. It's the truth. Yeah. It can weigh you down. It's almost like you have no control over what, you know, YouTube. No. Yeah. At least YouTube. If you I'm like thinking. one video, yeah, you could take time in between videos. Yes. TikTok is just like, you have to take all of this in and, and hold it all. And we don't care if you like it or not, basically, <laughs> pretty much. Before I let you go, I have a couple more questions. First thing is, do you still deal with anxiety? And if you do, is it daily? Is it weekly? Do you have like, you know, a couple bad days here and there? What's your anxiety levels like now? Oh, it's definitely daily. I would say a lot of it's social anxiety. So it's sort of like when I have to be put in these situations, I'm going to feel it. So like, yeah, day to day. I mean, listen, there are days I go days in a row of not leaving my apartment, basically. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I gym upstairs and whatever. And if I run downstairs and go get something, it doesn't really count. So I could kind of like, sure, in those days, I'm never facing it. So it doesn't matter. But obviously, with my job, I constantly have to face it. Like, I have to go to an event tonight after, after this. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to have to deal with it, you know? 
that exposure therapy. You know what I mean? It's kind of putting yourself out. I mean, there I don't know. Thing. It's 36 years. I don't know if that's really going to work, but I just kind of know it's just, they're just things you have to do. Like, yeah, as much as nice you. as it is to, for me to never leave my apartment, I kind of have to, you know, do more. So I got to force myself to do it. How do you feel about things like this? The Zoom and stuff, there's like stuff like this make you anxious. It makes me anxious from time to time. And I host the fucking show. It doesn't make me anxious. I don't love it. I just don't like staring at the fucking computer. Like I did one like Zoom date during COVID and I was like, never again. I hate this. I hate this so much because I also think like, I mean, I don't know if you like you could say or like I'm fidgeting with things. I'm constantly looking away. It's just like, that's how I get through this. I've been playing with this pen this entire time. Yeah. And like, this is so informal. We're like, that's fine. If you're on a date, it just looks like you're disinterested in the date. <laughs> Yeah, you know what I mean. So it's like, where if I'm at a bar with them, like that's a little bit normal. Like if you're at a bar, you're looking around, like there's stuff happening. You could, you know, look down at your beer, do whatever, you whatever it is. Can't if you're like on a date on Zoom, like you're kind of just staring at each other, which is horrible. So I did one. Yeah. I was like, never again. Fuck that shit. I'll wait for the world to open up. <laughs> yeah. How's dating going now, though? Now that it's outside, are you looking to like date? Yeah, I go on dates here and there. Like, I honestly just don't have the time or energy for them more than anything. So it's like, I go through waves sometimes. Like, yeah, let's go on a date. Let me find a date. I go weeks or I'm like, I'm looking at my calendar. I'm like, I don't even know when I would go on a date. So, it, you know, it's 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 fine. It is what it is. Have you like uh, have a hard time kind of just like balancing like work and like personal stuff? Or is it just more like since what you love personally is kind of what you do professionally? Yeah. You kind of look at it that way. It's going to bad. I mean, all is the same which again is good and bad like but there's no separation you know sure, which is why people sure. you know people all the time like oh my dream is to like do what you do and be in you know having own shit or whatever and i'm like that's great if that's your dream and i want to take away your dream it's not for everybody like i've never had a nine to five job in tv i was always freelance i was always fighting for work mm-hmm. i was always working a billion hours a day and whatever and i i get off in that like i enjoy it i think that that suits my personality like there's some people that would hate that and that's totally yeah. fine like some people it's great to go to work and have separate, like be done with work and separate and go of a life. I said to someone the other day, I was like, they were like, I want to turn my passion into a career. And I'm like, that's not always the best idea. Cause then it kind of kills your passion. You know, like yeah, yeah. I worked in sports TV because I love sports. I studied sports management. Like I did that for a year, a couple of years. And then like, it killed my passion in sports. Yeah. And I was that like, sucks. And I was like, Oh, the one thing that I like got so much enjoyment out of, I turned into work and now it's just work. So I'm always like, you want a job that you can make money at and you can be happy with and you can grow with. But if you truly have all these passions, like find a job that just gives you flexibility, have a nine to, not that nine to five exists anymore, but generally have a nine to five. And then on the weekends, go do whatever you're passionate about and try and find the balance rather than always thinking your job has to be what you're most passionate about in life. I love that. I love that. You're back in the sports now. What are your teams? I've always been a giant Yankees fan. All right. You and me both. Love it. Those love are, it. Those are two. Yeah. Beat up on the Mets tonight, hopefully. So before I let you go, this is just the foodie and me. Top three New York restaurants. <laughs> Your top three. All right, here's what I'll say. Here's the places. These are not the best restaurants in New York City. These are just the places that I eat at the most, and I love them, and they make me happy. Got it. I go to 12 chairs all the time. I really love that. I said eat this earlier. That's constantly in the rotation. And the third one, I'll say uh, rule of thirds. I love rule of thirds. Oh, cool. Nice. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then uh, carbone spicy rigatoni. Overrated, underrated, slightly rated, nicely rated. That di- here's what I'll say. I think the dish is great. I would say that I think like what I loved about carbone 
is listen, it's a stupid, expensive meal. So go there on a special occasion. We'll just go there. For sure. Tonight. It's such a New York vibe and New York experience that I walked away being like, hell yeah. I had like six Negronis. I had all this fucking food. The staff was amazing. The service was amazing. Ambiance was amazing. So yeah, like I did like that dish, but I walked away just loving that meal so much. And I feel like if that's what you got out of it, you're going to like enjoy it way more. I felt that way about for Charles Prime Rib too. Like, oh, this burger rocks, this sandwich rocks, this abs rocks. But the fact that it felt like such a New York thing, I was like, okay, cool. Yeah, special occasion. I'm okay dropping some money because it was the whole experience. Oh, yeah. Rather than focusing on that one dish. Poor Charles is like, it's it's up there for me. I mean, Carbone's up there for me too. I just went like four days ago. I, I've maybe eaten there a hundred times. I like am sick after there, but it's totally worth it. <laughs> I always have to take it. I've fallen asleep in the Uber maybe 94% of the time after <laughs> exactly. I leave Carbone. Have you been to Teresa yet? No, I haven't. I've been. You should definitely go. It's it's fantastic. And the last question I ask is, are you happy today? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) My birthday's coming up and I hate my birthday and it's just stressing me out. Oh, man, you got birthday vibes. I I think that started to happen to me after I turned 25. Uh Uh-huh. I used to love my birthday before 25. Yeah, I never really liked my birthday. 25 was actually the only birthday where like it hit me that I was old. So mm-hmm. that one was probably the one that affected me the most. But in general, I just kind of know what's coming up. And like nah, people start bothering me about it. I'm like, I don't want to do anything. Just let me be. As much as I want to be like the center of attention with like stand up and stuff like that. When it comes to like birthdays, I'm good. That's what I always say. Obviously, people think I'm just like an attention whore because like I'm an Instagram person, but like really not a hate attention. I'll take attention when it's for something that I'm like proud of, which is right. like my work. I can't leave the apartment. And if I'm out in New York city, someone will come up to me and say hi. Cause they recognize. Me. Right. Yeah. Which is great. I think it's crazy. And it's amazing. It's so super sweet. And every experience is great. And the fact that I live in New York city and people recognize you is crazy. And I like that. I'm like, Oh, I'm being recognized because of my work. That's really cool to be recognized because like, it's just another day on the calendar. And it's deemed your birthday. It's a special day. I'm like, what is this so stupid? Who cares? Yeah, it's true. I think that's just the old curmudgeon in us, though. (laughs) Yes. You know what I mean? The older we get, the more curmudgeon I get, but I embrace it. I embrace my curmudgeon side. But, you know, listen, Jacob, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today and being so open with us and just letting us, uh, you know, just know about your journey. But for anybody who's listening who hasn't heard of you, where can they all find you? Great. Yeah. My videos live everywhere. Just search my name, Jeremy Jacobowitz, like Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. If you're older, you can go on Facebook and find me. If you're younger, you can go on Snapchat and find me. Wherever content lives, I will be. I love it. And then, you know what? I'm proud of you as a Jewish man for keeping your real name and not going with a stage name. You know, it's funny. I had one for like, if you go back and find videos from like 15 years ago, for like a year, I did have a stage name. What was your stage name? I like that my name's alliteration and I didn't want to go too far. So it was, it was Jeremy Jack. I just cut off the, it was Jeremy Jack. Oh, right. Just cut off the rest of my last name. Nah, Jacobowitz hits. Yeah. <laughs> it was a different Jacobowitz. time. Yeah. yeah I hear you. I hear you. I hear you <laughs> guys. You can find us too at one one OTC. Please go check out brunch boys. Check out Jeremy on his pages as well. And Jeremy, like I said, if there's anything we could ever do for you here, We'd be more than willing to help you out, whatever it is that you need. But again, thank you so much for taking time to come on the show today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks for joining me on another episode of Off the Cuff, presented to you by 101 Life. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and send us some love with a review. And don't forget, 
We're all in this together, and you're never alone. Peace. Fate Entertainment. Ah!